We are having a movie night September the 17th at 7 p.m. to raise money for uh, our trip called Accelerant. It's a great uh, place where the youth go and learn more about God, get to know each other more. It's a wonderful spot. And we'll be watching uh, Family Camp. It's a Christian comedy. And it's a, yeah. And it's a donation only when you enter. Popcorn and soda is a dollar each. And thank you. Thank you, Sir Nicholas. Once again, September 17th at 7 p.m., that is this upcoming Saturday, we're having a youth fundraiser. It's a movie night. Um, it's donations only for tickets, right, for entrance, but then drinks and uh, snacks are a dollar a piece. That is like, for Nicholas said, that is for our accelerant trip that we take in January, and that trip always proves to be fruitful. All the years we've been going, that's a fruitful trip for us. And so the Lord works mightily in that. It's basically a youth conference, and so we go and we spend time in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and we have services throughout the weekend. But our youth group always grows closer with one another, which is beautiful. Uh, more than anything else, those bonds are created there, so we love that. But we are about to uh, play a memorial video to um, honor those who... Uh, passed away in the 9-11 event. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. The victims were in airplanes or in their offices, secretaries, businessmen and women, military and federal workers, moms and dads, friends and neighbors. The pictures of airplanes flying into buildings fires burning, huge structures collapsing, have filled us with disbelief, terrible sadness, and a quiet, unyielding anger. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. America was targeted for attack because we're the brightest beacon for freedom and opportunity in the world. And no one will keep that light from shining. Today our nation saw evil, the very worst of human nature. And we responded with the best of America. These acts of mass murder were intended to frighten our nation into chaos and retreat. But they have failed. Our country is strong. A great people has been moved to defend a great nation. Terrorist attacks can shake the foundations of our biggest buildings, but they cannot touch the foundation of America. These acts shatter steel, but they cannot dent the steel of American resolve. I fear no evil, for you are with me. 
This is a day when all Americans from every walk of life unite in our resolve for justice and peace. None of us will ever forget this day, yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just in our world. Testing, testing, there we go. Today is 9-11, and once again, we honor the memory of those who passed away during that tragic event in our history of a nation. Um, and I've known people who were very impacted by that situation. I'm sure all of you who are actually remember when it happened were highly affected by that, but one thing about us as Americans is we always come together to stand. Um, and so I'm thankful for a nation that does stand for freedom um, and for a people who stand for freedom. But will you please stand as we pray together today before we enter into our time of the word? Would you please raise your hands to heaven if you are willing to receive today? Father, we thank you for your love that is devoted. My goodness, thank you for your love that is devoted. Thank you for your love that is faithful when I'm not faithful. Jesus, we just thank you for your sacrifice upon the cross and what that means for us now and the realities of that, that we are able to walk in in this new covenant life, this life of union with the Messiah. And so, Jesus, we just thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you start to open ears, open minds, open hearts to receive today. And that in, in my weakness, you are shown to be strong. Because where I am inadequate, you are so adequate. And where I'm insecure, you are the creator of the universe. And so, Holy Spirit, today, I just pray that you just speak through me. That it's a, it's a word of life, a word of encouragement to push us forward into this hard life that we're facing. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray, as always, that you have your way amongst your people. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, Kevin, you can turn me down a little bit, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Kevin. Thank you for filling in. Um, Sydney and Willard and group, thank you guys so much for filling in for worship today. That was so beautiful and simplistic. And I'm telling you, when, when she started singing that song, His Love is Devoted, y'all, I just started weeping. Can I be real with y'all real quick? I had a hard week this week. A lot of feelings of inadequacy and insecurities were just beating me over the head this week. Not to mention I got about four hours of sleep every night this week because I have two babies who don't want to sleep uh, during the nighttime. And so, yo, this was a hard week for me, and I've really been struggling. I've been hurting this week. And as soon as Sydney started singing that first line, man, it was just waterworks, waterworks. Because sometimes you just got to be reminded that his love is so devoted to you. Like a ring of solid gold. What does that mean? That means he's married to the bride. He's a faithful husband, he's a faithful father, and he loves us dearly. His covenant is not broken with us, and that song just ministered to my heart personally, because uh, it's, it's been a hard week, and so um, I am running on fumes today. So you know what, the more y'all amen me, the more we're going to have a good time together. So the more y'all talk back, the better time we'll have. So there's that. Brother Norman told me to say that, by the way. So Brother Norman's going to be saying amen all day. I receive it. <laughs> Uh, a lot of you were asking about the Seawalk Culture class and what that's going to look like. Um, so our Seawalk Culture class is going to be six sessions spread out over six months. Okay, so it's one session a month. And what a Seawalk Culture class is going to look like, this is for those of you who've been going here 20 plus years or those of you who've just started joining us and you're interested in being a member here. That class is basically just going to walk through who are we as a ministry going forward. Uh, we're going to talk about our five pillars of culture, which is the gospel, worship, outreach, 
community and stewardship. That's who I am as a leader. That's who we are as a leadership. And through those six weeks, we're just going to walk through each one of those pillars of culture and establish who we are. What is the vision going forward? Who do we want to be as a people and who are we as a leadership leading forward? And so that is going to be on September 18th. That's the first session. It's going to be directly after church at around 1230. So we'll give you a little bit of time, but lunch will be provided. And so since lunch is going to be provided, if you are interested in taking part, there's a sign up sheet on the big desk in the middle of the foyer in there that I need you to sign up so then I can plan accordingly. But once again, that's those of you who are um, first-time attenders. That's those of you who've been here for 20 years. Miss Mary, I'm so sorry I forgot. There you go. Um, But that is for those who want to take part. Um, I'm really excited about that, all right? Um, Small groups. Those of you, a lot of you probably don't know we have small groups. We initiated those in the beginning of the year and really never circled back around to talk about them again. But we have small groups. We have small groups that pertain to age range, gender, um, that really is a place for people to fit in and belong. So if you are not currently a part of a small group or you kind of fell off a little bit there because, y'all, life gets crazy. Who in here knows life gets crazy? I'm not judging you for not attending small group because I understand life gets crazy. I mean, golly, I got, two, I got two under two, okay? So I understand life gets crazy. But we are going to put forth the initiative of small groups again because the fact of the matter is this church is only going to grow based upon how well our community is knit together. All right, so we need community. Who in here needs community? Like, even if you didn't raise your hand and you don't think you need community, I'm here to tell you today, humans were made for community. Our God, three in one, is community in himself. We were made in his image and likeness. We need community. So please, if you're interested or want to get back involved with a small group, come see me, Pastor Charlie, Pastor Teresa, Pastor Serena, um, and Miss Melody. I think that's all of our small group leaders. Um, But please, if you're interested, please come talk to me. It's so important. Uh, September 24th is our, right, that's our work day, right? Church work day, September 24th at 8 a.m.? At 8 a.m. All right, so we have some projects going on around the church uh, that need to be fixed. And so September 24th at 8 a.m., there's a group of us meeting here to try to fill some of those needs. So if you like to work with your hands and you like to serve in that way, please come join us um, September 24th at 8 a.m. Um, next week, we're going to start a series that I'm really, really excited about, and the title is going to be Love is a Verb. It's going to be probably six to seven, seven parts to the series, so almost two months long. And the series is going to be called Love is a Verb. Um, and Holy Spirit, I mean, I'm really excited about this one because Holy Spirit is working in me in a lot of different ways um, on this topic. So I'm really excited for what's coming. But today, uh, we're going to continue on our train of thought when it comes to grace. Now, some people are hardly wondering, why are we still talking three weeks later and we're still talking about grace? Why? Because grace is so much bigger than we thought it was. Grace is so much bigger than we thought it was. I am highly encouraged by hearing the conversations you guys are hearing in small groups, how y'all are talking through these things, and your understanding of grace is growing. And y'all, the fact of the matter is Paul calls the gospel the gospel of grace in Acts 20, 24. And he says he labored in Acts 20, 32. He says, I labored so you would believe the gospel of grace. Every single letter Paul wrote started and ended with a blessing of grace. I think grace is pretty important for us to walk in and understand. It's the very baseline of our faith. It is grace through faith that you are saved. It is the baseline of our faith. And if we don't properly understand grace, then our faith can't really stand. Why? Because the foundation is not solid. Uh, So we're going to do a little bit of recap over the past two weeks. And then uh, our our main passage today, if you want to write this down, is Titus 2. 11 through 14, Titus 2, 11 through 14. And this passage to me connects a lot of dots for us. A lot of you have had a lot of questions and I need you to be patient because there's only so much I can say on a Sunday morning during a 40 minute session, right? And so what I do with you each Sunday is I build upon principles so then we get where we're going. But if I were to cheapen grace and say, all right, we're going to talk about grace for this one Sunday, that's it. Well, then I didn't really properly walk you through what grace is. 
All right, so that's the beauty of us coming together every Sunday is so then we can grow in this thing called grace together. But let's do a little bit of recap of what we've been talking about. The first week we talked about John chapter 1, 14 through 18, and we talked about the fact that we even walked through the Greek that Jesus is full of grace and truth. That word full in the Greek means perfect, filled up completely, lacking in nothing. So Jesus came in perfect grace. That's the word charis, which means everything you could never earn. Okay? Everything you could never earn. And once again, I'm not going to say everything you don't deserve because the one who created grace is the one who decides who, deter- who deserves grace. I don't look at you and say, you don't deserve grace. Why? Because I did not create grace and I do not extend the grace of the Father. So who am I to say what you do or do not deserve? It's not my place. So it's everything you could not earn. All right. And so what grace is so much more than just what we think, right? Forgiveness of sins. It is forgiveness of sins. It's also reconciliation. It's also redemption. It's also inner strength. It's also perseverance and spiritual gifts. It's a lot more. Oh, and good works flow out of grace. So grace is a lot bigger than we thought it was. Who in here can say amen to that? Grace is a lot bigger than we thought that it was. We talked about in that passage that the word to describe truth is aletheia in the Greek. Aletheia means objective truth. Objective truth means that it is true whether you believe it or receive it or not. And so scripture tells us that Jesus came perfect in grace, everything you can earn, right? And perfect truth. So this is a factual statement that Jesus has now poured this out upon the world. So the world, whether they believe it or not, grace is always waiting for them to receive. And so our jobs as not the police of grace, but the servants of grace is to now point to grace, the man, Jesus Christ, and say, look, look what has been waiting for you the whole time. And so what's going to draw people to the church is not you pointing out how nasty and miserable they are. What's going to draw people to the church is pointing to how good Jesus is. We're about to look at this passage and this passage we're about to look at actually personifies grace as our teacher. So we're, we're going to get deeper into this, but the fact of the matter is you don't need me pointing out your sin. You need a deeper revelation of grace. We'll get there. We'll work on it. Grace does not become a reality until we place faith in it. I need us to understand this. The objective truth is the fact that grace has been poured out on the earth. Did you give yourself life? No. Are you putting breath in your lungs right now? No, you're literally breathing in grace in this moment. I need you to pause and think about that. Your literal life is grace. So what does this tell me? Even, y'all, scripture tells us that the sun shines on the just and the unjust. Rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Even non-believers are being filled with grace right now at this moment. Man, I don't know about that, y'all. That's beautiful to me. That every time I breathe, it's a reminder of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, it's grace is so much more than we were taught. And grace is so much more than a one-time experience or one-time acceptance. A lot of us have been taught you accept grace at salvation and done. You're good. You're done. That's not what scripture tells us, y'all. The passage we are about to look at, two passages actually tells us that grace is a continual process throughout your entire life continual process throughout your entire life. Grace pours out spiritual gifts, and through grace, we are filled with good works. Listen, there's a difference between striving in good works under the law and flowing in good works under grace. I have tried the striving part, and I got burnt out in six months. I've tried the grace part, and I've been sustained for the last nine. And so I can tell you there's a main difference between striving in good works and flowing in the good works that grace produces in you. Not only does grace produce good works, grace sustains you in good works. Grace unlocks the door to our gifts. I said this last week. It's so important. Grace unlocks the door to our gifts. We read the passage Ephesians 4, 7 last week that said, Through grace, Christ has poured out gifts on us. Through grace, 
not through our own ambition, not through our own flesh, not through our own fleshly gifts, but through grace, we are then given gifts, our spiritual gifts. Grace produces good works and sustains us in them. I'm going to make a statement that we're going to develop through the rest of this day, and this is the statement. You ready? You cannot take grace too far, but you can take it wrongly out of lack of understanding. You cannot take grace too far. We're about to look at this. Why? Because when you have a true revelation of grace, grace becomes your teacher. And we're about to look at the passage. It says grace teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. So those of us who have a deep revelation of grace, listen, the fear that, oh, you're going to take grace too far and you're going to have an ungodly life and you're going to live in the worldly lust. If you have a revelation of grace, it's impossible to do those things because grace teaches you a better way. And so we, we got to deal with this real quick. So I was talking about extremes last week, and we said um, you don't correct an extreme with another extreme. You correct an extreme with balance. Okay, and so Paul deals with what were called the Judaizers. We talked about them before. The Judaizers would come behind Paul's ministry, and he was preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. Only by grace through faith are you saved. And then the Judaizers would come and say, yeah, that stuff is good, but also now you have to be circumcised. Y'all, that's bad news for a Gentile man who's 30 years old. I don't know about y'all. It's one thing when you're a baby. It's another thing when you're a grown man, and they ain't got no type of painkillers or nothing back then. That's some bad news. And there ain't no bad news in the good news, so I'm just encouraging you. Jesus ain't telling mm Anyways, so they were coming behind and saying, hey, you got to be circumcised and follow the law. That's some bad news. And Paul in Galatians says, anyone who comes behind us, even an angel, if he comes behind us and preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. Whew, hold up now. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not trying to be accursed. I'm going to preach the real gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel of grace. I don't know about y'all. I ain't trying to mix. I, shoot, I want to live in the overflow of blessings that I already live in. I ain't trying to get stuck in the old. I'm going to preach the new. Praise the Lord Jesus. And so in Romans eleven six, 6, uh, Paul makes this statement. He says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, since otherwise grace is no longer grace. What is he saying? It's no longer about your works. You can't earn this thing. You can't strive hard enough to get this thing. So what is he correcting? A flawed mindset that now in Jesus, we still have to earn something. So he's correcting a flawed mindset. That is what the Judaizers were teaching. So that's one extreme. One extreme is now we want to police grace, and we're going to tell you not to take it too far. We're going to tell you you better be cautious with grace. But the fact of the matter is you don't need less of God's grace. You need a lot more of God's grace. You need a lot more of it. You need it every day. Every day you wake up, you better start praying, God, give me your grace for this day. So if anyone tells you you need less of God's grace, you better say, fool, that's another gospel. Like, tell them straight up, that is another gospel. You don't need less. You need a lot, lot more. (laughs) And then there's the opposite extreme of what modern day we call hyper grace, which is grace that allows you to do whatever you want at all times with no consequences and no standards. First off, that's not actually grace. That's not, that's not hyper grace. Hyper grace means you're completely transformed to the image of Jesus. Let me pause and say that again. If you are living in hyper grace, you are now fully sanctified. So our understanding of grace is flawed. It's flawed. You cannot do this under grace. You do this under the flesh. So a lot of the times we want to do what we want to be doing and we disguise it as God covering us in grace. All right. And so that's the opposite extreme because we don't actually have an understanding of what grace is. And so Jude writes this. Jude 1.4 says this. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into indecent behavior. All right, so let me read that again. These people are those who turn the grace of our God into indecent behavior. So what are they saying? Grace covers everything, so now let me go party. <laughs> let me go get wild. And so he's saying these people, no. That is also an extreme, taking it too far, misusing this thing we call grace. And so we have to be balanced, and the only way we can be balanced in grace is by allowing grace to be our teacher. Who's the best one to teach you about grace? Grace himself. 
So the passage we're looking at today is how do we find this balanced ground of truly living in grace? And the way we find it is by allowing grace to be our teacher. And once again, grace is so important in the scriptures. Grace is so important that every single letter Paul writes starts off with a blessing of grace and ends with a blessing of grace. I think that's beautiful. Who else in here thinks that's beautiful? Paul is saying, hey, everything you can never earn, I just hope it falls on you. I just hope it showers on you as a people. I just hope you walk in the goodness of the Father. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. King Jesus, let your word do the work today. So we're going to look at this verse by verse today. We're going to walk through this thing that grace is our teacher. And I love how Paul personifies grace as a teacher. And so verse 11, it tells us this, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This is the passage we dealt with in the first week, is it not? Jesus, the word of God became flesh. Grace has appeared to all people. Now through Jesus Christ, the offer of salvation, sozo faith, healing, deliverance, wholeness, and freedom can be found in Jesus. Did you know that word salvation is sozo faith? It doesn't even actually have to do much with the afterlife. Jesus is talking about now. So those who place faith in Jesus can be made whole now. You can be freed right now. You can have deliverance right now. You can be healed right now. So Jesus comes and he says, hey, look what the world's giving you. Nah, you don't want that. I got something so much better for you right here. And guess what? You don't got to earn it. You don't got to strive after it. My father loves you so much that he sent me here to give you a gift. And so that is talking about the passage we dealt with two weeks ago, that we literally walked through the Greek and laid it out for us of what that means. So now Jesus has appeared bringing this free gift, the free gift for everyone who would receive it. And listen, I think oftentimes in the church, we don't present, we don't present salvation that way a lot of times. We don't present, hey, you're desperate. You need Jesus. You're longing for this. Okay, now follow A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then you can get to Jesus. And oftentimes people come running to the church for Jesus. They accept Jesus. They're hungry for Jesus. But now you got to do this and you got to do that. And then we heap the law on their head instead of teaching them the standard that was set by Christ. Do you understand? There are no more rules in the new covenant. There are standards that we live by that Holy Spirit and grace now empower us to live to the standard. And what's beautiful about verse 11 is this is the gospel in one verse. This is the gospel in one verse. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That what people have been striving for for thousands of years has now become the free gift given through the Son who died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, to make us whole again. Verse 12. Let's look at verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly righteously and godly in the present age. This word, this word for teaching is pedo in the Greek. And it literally means to train up as in training a child. Pause and think about that. It doesn't say that grace is, is a schoolmaster disciplining you and chastising you. It says that grace is like a parent raising up a child in love and discipline. Y'all, grace is the most gentle, patient, patient teacher you could ever have in your life. And so it says that grace, and what does this mean? That means it's a process. You, you don't raise your child one day and then your child's full grown the next. This thing is a process. And so listen, I'm struggling because my oldest is only 16 months old. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got, I got 17 more years of this right here. Oh Lord Jesus. And then after that, but the thing is grace is a gentle teacher. And so what does this tell us? Grace is not a one-time experience. 
Grace is not a one-time acceptance. Grace is a day-by-day walk. It's a day-by-day walk, and grace is a gentle teacher. Grace shows us a better way. And listen, this is what I love about this. When grace is your teacher, you will never go on sinning and take grace too far. When it says, it says grace teaches us to deny, that word deny in the Greek literally means to reject or turn down the offer. And so when ungodliness is wanting to tempt you away, grace teaches you to reject the offer. Don't accept it. Don't let it even come near you. When you see it pop up, grace is going to say, no, I've got something better for you. And that's the beauty of grace. Grace is not like the law. Scripture tells us that the law was a guardian. It was merely keeping us safe, right? Pointing to Jesus. But now under grace, we're no longer under a guardian, but a gentle, loving teacher. The law could show you what was wrong, but it could never teach you a better way. It only could point to your sinfulness and then show you your need for a savior. But not only does grace show you the savior, the grace teaches you to walk like your savior. Man, that's beautiful. Y'all ever think about Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. Well, what is ungodliness? Ungodliness is anything that is lack of reverence for the Father. Ungodliness, what does that mean? The opposite of God. What does that mean? Anything that the Father would not do or walk in. It teaches us, so listen, it's crazy. And then it, ta- it ta- teaches us, right, to deny worldly lust. These are the two things people keep telling. Well, if you keep preaching grace, people are going to live ungodly, man, and they're going to live in worldly lust. No, no, no. The more we preach grace, the less people will do these things. The more we pray for deeper revelation of grace, the less we will do these things. And so the fear of, you'll be careful when you preach grace. No, we need to preach grace more and more and more and more. Why? Because grace, not me. Listen, if I'm telling you don't commit this sin, you you better not do it. You better not do it. You know what your week's going to be full of? You trying and striving to stay away from this sin. But if I point to grace, when those sins pop up, grace is teaching you and sanctifying you and showing you a better way. So instead of me putting temptation in front of your face, when temptation does come up, grace is teaching you to stay away from it. To deny. Notice it doesn't say run away from temptation. I've known people who when they see temptation, they're like, get the heck out of there. No, 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 because the fact of the matter is sometimes you're going to be in situations where you can't get the heck out of there. You're stuck. It's a family situation. It's a work situation, and you can't get out. But grace will teach you to deny it. Who in here knows anything about basketball? When someone gets blocked at the rim, what do they say? Denied. Y'all, what does that mean? When temptation comes your way, grace teaches you to smack that thing into the stands. Like that, that is what grace does. We think, oh, meek, mild grace. No, grace teaches you to be like Jesus. So the two things, the two things that we're so terrified about people doing with grace are the very two things that scripture tells us grace denies. The very, listen, I need you to hear this. For those of us who've had a misunderstanding about grace, the very two things, and this is why a lot of Pentecostal pastors don't preach about grace. It scares us. The very two things that we tell people to know grace is going to take you there. Grace actually teaches you and trains you up and shows you how to deny these things. So we need to be preaching more grace, not less grace. Grace. Grace is an everyday process, an everyday occurrence. And I need to keep saying this because a lot of us have been taught in church grace, right? You accept grace once you're saved. That's it. No, I need to tell you again, grace is an everyday process. It's an everyday occurrence. Who in here is a perfect human being? I need to lay on the ground for this one. Like I can't even get up. Who in here is perfect? Nobody. What does that mean? Every day you need grace. Every day you need grace. Grace. And every day you wake up, you're experiencing grace. You couldn't earn your life, but God freely gives it. Every time you breathe, you are experiencing grace. Why? Because you can't create the own oxygen in your lungs. And you definitely can't sustain it. So the fact of the matter is every day you wake up and every moment that you're breathing, every moment that you're walking, you are actually covered in the grace of God. Believer and unbeliever alike. Rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is a good, good father. He lives in agape love, goodwill towards all humankind. That is grace. 
there's a passage, this is not really what we're going to get into today, but Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I want you to study this during your week. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I'm just going to read it real quick. And verse 16 is really what I want to talk about for a second. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of what? The throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and grace and find help in our time of need. Pause and let's think about the description of the throne of Jesus. It doesn't say the throne of power. It doesn't say the throne of might. It doesn't say the throne of judgment. It doesn't say the throne of condemnation. It says the throne of grace. The one who is grace personified now sits on the throne of grace. And now we, through Jesus, why? Because he sees you, he knows you, and he does not hate you. But he sees your weakness, and in your weakness, he is made strong. And so he's not out here to condemn you when you mess up. Actually, he is glorified when he is able to give you strength in your weakness. So through his grace, we are made strong. Paul is really struggling in one of his letters, and he writes, and he says this. He says, there was a thorn in my flesh, and three times I struggled with this thing. So I pleaded with Christ three times, take this thing from me. Take it from me, Lord. I can't do it anymore. And Jesus answers and says, I'm not taking it away. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for all things. So those of you who are struggling in this season, you better start running to the throne of grace. Because before his throne is everything you could ever need, all things to make you sufficient in all things are found before his throne. Romans 8, 31 through 39 talks about the great love of the father. And scripture says this, is Jesus going to judge us? The one who was, who's justified us? No, absolutely not. He is the one who's by the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. So the one who could judge you is the one who doesn't judge you, but the one who pours out grace and grace and grace. That is why where your sin abounded, grace much more abounds. And before his throne of grace, not his throne of power, y'all don't need more power. You need an understanding of grace. Why? Because Jesus walked in grace and truth and his power flowed out of his grace and truth. Just as God is love and his power flows out of his love. You don't need to be praying, God, give me more power. You need to be praying, Holy Spirit, give me a deeper revelation of grace in my innermost being. Deeper revelation of grace equals deeper levels of sanctification. I need us to hear this. Deeper revelation of grace equals deeper level of sanctification. Well, what is sanctification? Becoming more like Jesus. What is Jesus full of? Grace. (laughs) And I, I I love the second half of verse 12. What does grace teach us? So grace teaches us to deny two things, ungodliness and worldly lust. But what does it teach us to do? And I love this because it's all-encompassing. And so grace teaches us to live sensibly. This word sensibly in the Greek is sophonaros, which means a self-controlled life. So first off, grace teaches you how to live your personal life, all right? So this is dealing with you. Grace teaches you how to live a life that is self-controlled. Which if you are living self-controlled, right, through Holy Spirit inside of you, what are you no longer really going to struggle with? Worldly lust. So just just think through this. So first off, grace teaches you how to live self-controlled, sober-minded, temperate. It teaches you in your own life how to live personally, and it teaches you how to live. But look at number two. It teaches you to live righteously. This is the Greek word, dikaios. And this word actually means living rightly towards other people. So number one, grace teaches you how to live personally. Secondly, grace teaches you how to live horizontally, those around you. Jesus said that they will know you by the way you love one another. No greater love than this than one laid down their life for their brethren. Jesus set a standard, and it's this standard. What does love require of me? Grace teaches us 
how to live rightly according to our neighbors. I don't know about you, but when I was in my flesh without Holy Spirit, it was almost impossible for me to truly do right to my neighbors. Why? Because I always had my own selfish ambition and my own agenda in mind. It was never let me help you. It was let me help you so then you can help me or what can I get out of helping you? And so grace shifts your perspective from seeing people as objects to be used now to seeing people in the image of God. And grace now teaches you how to live according to the standards of Jesus. So number one, because why it starts with me first, grace deals with you first. You need to see the lineup of what this passage is saying. First off, grace teaches you how to live. How often are we so focused on how other people are living that we forget to let grace have its work in us first? So the fact of the matter is grace works on who first? Me first. You first. It ain't working on everybody around you. Not everybody around you is messed up. You're probably the one who's messed up. I mean, let's pause and think about this. Holy Spirit reveals what's truly in our heart to us. And through grace, he teaches us first about ourselves. Secondly, he shows us and teaches us how we are to walk amongst our brothers and sisters. Not just your brothers and sisters in the faith, but everyone you come into contact with. It's crazy because Jesus shifted the whole focus in, in the ancient Jewish culture and according to Judaism, your whole faith was uh, vertical. You only looked up. Everything you ever did was pointing up. There was passages like, you know, obviously, you know, uh, treat your neighbor how you'd want to be treated. But Jesus takes it a step further. He says, love those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. And so their whole faith is vertical. And so then Jesus comes and he starts saying stuff like this. All right, you're at the altar and you remember that a brother or sister has, has an offense against you. He says, leave that on the altar and go make it right. To the Jews, they're like, what are you talking about? This ain't got nothing to do with them. This got to do with me and God. Jesus came to shift our whole focus from being vertical to horizontal. And that's one of the main downfalls I see in the American church is we have not let grace have its work in us because we were taught grace is a scary, bad thing to do. And so therefore, we have not lived in a horizontal and vertical faith. We've only lived in a vertical faith. A vertical alone faith is not an impactful faith. You, through Jesus... We're not created to be a new creation for you. Pause and think about this. You were made a new creation to impact those around you. Why? Because the old you could not impact those around you positively, only negatively. And so Jesus came to shift our focus from only vertical to horizontal. And now out of a vertical love, it flows horizontally. It's a shift of focus. It's a shift of perspective. And number three is this, to live godly. It's the word eusebos which literally means living right towards God. What does this mean? It teaches you to live a life that honors your father. It doesn't teach you 80 rules and steps to please him. It teaches you how to live your everyday life that is just glorifying to his name. This is why Paul says, whether eating or drinking, do it in the name of the Lord, because everything you do in the right mindset, in the right motive of heart, is glorifying to the father. The Father created you to eat, you can eat to his glory. The Father created you to sleep, you can sleep to his glory. Everything you do can be glorifying to the Father. And through grace showing you the goodness of God, you now come to an understanding of what it means to live the life that he created you to live. So through grace, we learn how we ought to live in ourselves how we ought to live towards one another, and how we ought to live towards the Father. Now, that's a lot bigger perspective about grace than you've been taught, huh? So grace is our teacher. Grace teaches us to live this way. And I love, I love how the verse ends. It says, it says this right here. I love it. In the present age... Now, pause. That present age is not our present age. That word is aeon, which means that their time. We're, we're about 2,000 years later, so that's not our present age. But does our present age not need grace? Does our present age not need Christians living out the light that was put in through us through the sun that we are to shine in the darkness? Does the world not need that? And so why does grace teach us to live uh, soberly? Why does it teach us to live righteously and godly? Why? So our light can shine to those around us. You are not saved by good works. You are saved for good works. Before the world was ever formed, Scripture tells us that you are God's workmanship. And before the world ever began, he formed you and made you for good works. So now through grace training us, 
through grace, teaching us how we ought to live to ourselves, to one another, and to the Father. Now, as grace matures us and brings us to a level of maturity, now we can go and be the lights. That's why it says in this present age. Why? Because we live in a broken, dark world that needs restoration and light. And grace enables us and empowers us to take it forward. But this is through the training of grace. Verse 13 says this, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace teaches us to look forward. Pause. Grace teaches us to look forward. Anticipation of the future to come keeps you focused now. I need you to hear this. Anticipation of seeing Jesus, anticipation of being literally in the kingdom of God keeps you focused now. Why? Because it keeps you focused on something far better than what you may experience here and now. The reason temptation is successful in this life is because we lose sight of something better. Temptation says this is as good as it's going to get. Take part in this. But when we keep our focus, when grace keeps us focused and teaches us to look to the future, we look to something better. When you see something better, you don't go back to worse. You just don't. When I met my beautiful wife, I never went back to things before her because I found as good as it was going to get. Okay, so when you see better, you don't go back to worse. So grace teaches us to look forward to the better. Why would I settle for this now when I know I'm going to have this in the future? So anticipation of the future keeps you focused now. And anticipation of the future keeps you focused on his goodness. Can I tell you the vast majority of times that I have sinned, which means to miss the mark, I lost sight of the goodness of the Father in seasons of hardship. Seasons of hardship had tricked me and made me lose sight of the goodness of God. And that is when I shot and I missed the mark. But the fact of the matter is that grace teaches us to anticipate the future, to keep our eyes on the goodness of God. Grace teaches us to look forward. Does that encourage anyone? Is it, okay, pause. I want, I want a real honest moment. Has anyone ever just felt stuck in the point in time you're in? You can't see a week down the road. You can't see three weeks down the road. And you're stuck where you are in your flesh and you feel miserable and lonely. Can I encourage you today and this week, let grace teach you how to look forward. Once again, let grace teach you how to look forward. This season too shall pass. Grace teaches you to walk in grace even in the hardest of seasons. This season, some of y'all, I see it in your faces, you need this. This season too shall pass doesn't last forever. Let grace teach you in this season. In verse 14, let's finish up with verse 14, if I can get my paper. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Grace reminds us of the price that was paid. Grace reminds us of the price that was paid paid. When you see Jesus on that cross and you see his blood flowing for you, it's really hard to step outside of grace when you are able to see what he's done for you. There's a deep revelation that comes when you acknowledge what Jesus really did is really true. Y'all, Paul, sometimes Christians accept Jesus as uh, a hell insurance policy. We accept Jesus because we don't want to go to hell, but he never truly became real to us. So grace takes you in deeper revelation of what he did for you. So not only do you now accept him because you were afraid at first, now you accept him because you love him. Can I tell you, love makes the difference. Love will keep you in a marriage. Fear will run you out of a marriage. I'm going to say this again. Because this is how we ought to view the husband, us, the bride. Love keeps you in a marriage. Fear drives you away. Love is what keeps you. Love is what sustains you. So grace brings to our remembrance exactly what Christ did for you, Eddie Chapel. For you, for you, for you, for you. So every day when you wake up and you breathe in that grace, let grace remind you that you are someone he deemed worthy to die for. Because everyone is someone that Jesus died for. 
So when you wake up in the morning, instead of saying, you know, my life is horrible, I'm worthless, I can't do anything right, pause and remind yourself that every breath you take is a gift from God. And that he deems you worthy to still have breath in your lungs. It's a gift. It's a free gift of grace. And why did he do it? Why did he die for us? And I love this, to redeem us and free us from lawless deeds and to purify us for himself. I need you to pause and think about this. He did this to bring glory to himself. Now, us living to a standard of grace, we ought to bring glory to his name. He died for you for a purpose. Why? Because he saw you, he loved you, and there's so much more potential in you than you could ever imagine. I just need some of us to hear this because some of us have been trained in church. We come in, we sit, and we leave, and Monday through Saturday, we're not effective in who we were made to be. There is a mission for you. He did not die for you just so you wouldn't go to hell. He died for you so you would now build the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is why I've said over and over, you are to live on mission. There are missions for you every day through the spirit so you can impact people, so you can build the kingdom, so you can serve in the good works you were created for. This is why he died. It says to redeem you, but so you would belong to him. And look, look I just want to read how this finishes. This blows my mind. His own special people, zealous for good works. The only way you're going to be zealous for good works is if you have a revelation of grace. Grace produces good works and grace sustains good works. So why did this passage start with grace? Because Jesus wants you functioning in grace. The way you will be his own special people living zealous for good works and good deeds is if you live in grace. So this passage starts because grace teaches us to live the life that Christ died for us to live. I'm going to say this again. Grace teaches us to live the life that Christ died for you and I to live. The fear that preaching grace produces Christians who don't care about obedience is actually an unfounded thought. Grace teaches you to be obedient. I'm going to say this again. The fear that preaching grace to Christians makes us disobedient is actually false. It's a fallacy. It's not found in Scripture because grace teaches us to be obedient. You see, under the law, they strive to be obedient to God because they were terrified of God. Under grace, we don't strive. We exist in God and we're pleasing to him because we are his children and he is our loving father. You see, love is everything. We need more of God's grace, not less. You can't take grace too far, but you can take it wrongly. So let me pose this. In this season, grace is teaching us, but my question to you is, are you listening? In this season, grace is teaching us something. Grace is taking us somewhere. Grace is showing us something. Grace is teaching us and training us to be the people that God intended for us to be. And so instead of thinking, why is pastor preaching on grace still? I want to ask you, are you listening? Because I don't need to teach you the ABCs of successful Christian life. You need, you need grace. You need grace to show you this Christian life. You need grace to sustain you and to make these things come forward. Because the fact of the matter is I could be a great motivational speaker and you may be going hard for two weeks but then life gets hard and you fall off. Do you know what sustains you in this life? Grace. It doesn't matter how well I speak. It doesn't matter how motivational I am. Life is hard. Who can attest to this? My words are only going to mean so much to you, but the grace of God has been poured out through the Son, Jesus Christ, and now permeates the earth. And so my question is, do you see his grace? When you wake up, do you focus to see his grace? Do you not just see it? Do you acknowledge the fact that every moment you're alive, you're breathing in grace? So in this season, grace is teaching us something. And in this season, grace is teaching me something. And I want to encourage you that grace is a patient and gentle teacher. You may not get it right the first time, the second time, the third time, but grace won't hold it against you. Grace will not put you in a place of condemnation. Grace will not make you feel judged and cast aside. Grace will gently pick you up, pat you off, put a Band-Aid on your boo-boo, and send you going. That is who grace is. Grace is a person. His name is Jesus. 
So in this season, I'm going to pose a question one more time because it's important because I've heard a lot of comments. A lot of people have said things, and that's okay because I'm trying to build something. Does everyone understand this now? Grace is so much more than we thought that it was. So much more than we thought that it was. And this is why so many Christians fall so often. It's not because they don't have Holy Spirit. They got Holy Spirit. It's because they have no understanding of grace. And when you have no understanding of grace, you have no understanding of how to receive grace. Because when you fall, you can stay down real easy if you don't receive grace. So I'm building a foundation here for us to be effective and walk in this Christian life. First, there must be a foundation of the gospel of grace, which literally means the good news of grace. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Will you please stand with me? Is that life to anyone today? Is that life to anyone? (laughs) Would you raise your hands to heaven with me? (laughs) Father, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you that your grace is objective truth. It has already permeated the earth. And now through our faith, we can live in the reality that Jesus died for. And King Jesus, in this season, I just pray that you continue to work on our minds and our hearts. You make us gracious. You make us people who walk in grace. You make us people who live according to the standards of Jesus because grace has taught us to do so. And so, King Jesus, in this season, we just receive grace. Father, I pray right now in this moment, people in this church learn how to truly receive grace for the first time. Instead of beating themselves up, instead of calling themselves worthless and terrible, that they receive grace. That we're a people that don't only receive it, but we extend it so freely. As Christ has given to you, so now you freely give. Let us be a people of grace who walk in grace and walk in truth. And King Jesus, in this season, grace, grace, we just speak grace as our teacher. Teaching us not to follow rules, but teaching us to deny ungodliness to deny worldly lusts, to train us up as a parent to their child, but then to teach us how to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, not for ourselves, but because those around us need it. That those around us need to see grace. They need to see Jesus. They need to see the cross. They need to see a better way. They need to see a higher standard. They need to see a deeper love, a more broad grace deeper mercy. So King Jesus, I just pray that through your grace, teaching us and training us and transforming us, that we become the people of grace, the children of peace, people of love, that we would live godly lives, not through striving, but through existing in your spirit, following the way of the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with Holy Spirit. We thank you for grace that it transforms us, teaches us, and trains us. I pray that we go out this week and we walk in grace and we extend grace. And day by day, we have a deeper revelation of grace. Your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. Pastor Betty, do you have food across the street? There's food in the outreach ministry across.